the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Welcome. It's Basic Thursday, September the 12th. Craig Roberts with you here on this edition of Lifeline. How are you? Hope you've had a great day so far and heading into the week here, at least weekend, just around the corner, about another day here or so to go. So uh, with that, we're going to keep you occupied and uh, hopefully informed, challenged, and entertained over the course of the next couple of hours and uh, delighted and privileged to uh, to have you invite us along. We've got a lot to talk about today. Coming up a little bit later on in the first hour, we're going to talk about a very important topic Uh, It seems as if every time you turn around, we're learning of either a sting or an arrest, something taking place where a person of power or authority or taking advantage of an opportunity has taken advantage of a child. What's a parent to do? How do you protect your child from predators? That'll be our topic coming up later on in tonight's program when we get to that conversation about 5:30 if you've got young ears within earshot you might want to busy them somewhere else as um, we kind of have that adult dialogue i want to lead off with some very sad and unfortunate news tonight um a pastor who had frequently talked of his struggles with mental illness is now reported dead jared wilson died by suicide allegedly This past Monday, he was just 30 years old. Pastor Wilson had served on staff at Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside and um, had founded, in fact, a mental health nonprofit called Anthem of Hope, frequently spoke about his own battle with depression. Hours just before his passing, Wilson took to Twitter to say that, and I quote here, loving Jesus doesn't always cure suicidal thoughts, adding, but that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. Of course, needless to say, and everybody at Harvest Christian Fellowship, where Pastor Greg Laurie, is senior pastor, is in shock and dismay over this uh, tragic news. And, and sadly, this is not the first time that um, a notable within the church has um, left us because of suicide. You might recall that back in 2013, Rick and Kay Warren's son was lost to them by suicide as well. The issue of people that struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder, mental illness, um, is kind of a wide-open secret. Uh, oftentimes we know people have difficulties and yet we feel ill-equipped to be able to help them or reach out to them. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that, well, if you have your life together spiritually, then certainly your mental health will be together as well. But are they necessarily mutually exclusive? Let's get some insights now from award-winning author, co-author of 15 best-selling books, Shelley Beach. 
Shelley is co-founder of PTSD Perspectives, an organization that provides consultation services on post-traumatic stress disorder in the medical, mental health, educational, criminal justice, professional, and faith-based settings across the nation. And Shelley, always a privilege to have you with us. Thank you so much, Craig. We appreciate this opportunity, and I just it's such a, a grievous um, occasion. It's it's a heartbreaker, and and every time we hear of stories like this, and and uh, full disclosure here, even my own family um, has at one point been touched by suicide. The 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 questions, the confusion for those that remain behind um, uh, are, are are almost inconsolable. And yet, I think it, it's important for us to, to try and learn some of the lessons from the tragic experiences of others to try and, and better understand. The one often misnomer that we hear, and maybe you can speak to this right out the gate, uh, people will often say, well, gee, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with um, uh, depression or severe anxiety attacks or one form or another of post-traumatic stress disorder or um, some sort of diagnosed um, mental condition, people often say, well, just fight more, fight harder, as if you would think you would go to the person who has been uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness and say, well, if you just fight harder, that's the answer. We know your liver is failing, but just fight harder. Most people would say, well, that's, that's awfully insensitive. Do we make the same mistake then if we would try to say that to a person who's who's struggling with a a an issue of depression or some form of post traumatic stress disorder? Absolutely, because um the 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 very nature of, of mental illness is such that the the fight is a it's not a battle so much of, of taking a medication but the the, the processes by which we make decisions are affected and our emotional state is affected. And uh, I speak as somebody who's, you know, I've struggled with depression and I've struggled with some of these issues and we, we don't have the volitional ability that is impaired by, by virtue of the illness. And so um, it, it's like just, you know, saying to someone who's just had their, you know, their, both of their legs broken in a car accident, we'll just, you know, stand up on those on those. Just try harder to stand up on those broken bones and walk. Um, there, there's an inability there that um, need needs treatment. Sometimes medication helps. Sometimes it's more or less effective for some people. So, um, and then within the pastoral realm, it gets even more complicated to for, for pastors to deal with depression or suicidal thoughts by virtue of their positions. It's um, even it's even more of a kind of a conundrum for them. Well, I would imagine even from the sort of 30,000-foot high perspective on this issue as it relates to spiritual well-being, that it's easy for us to make the mistake that if a person is healthy spiritually, therefore that suggests that he or she must be healthy in every other regard, including their mental health. And we somehow try to correlate the two. Again, you wouldn't look at the person who's just had open-heart surgery and say, well, you know, that wouldn't have been happening if you had had a better relationship with Christ. I mean, if you say such a thing like that, people would say, how cold-hearted and callous can you be? And yet we often try to, to I think, out of well-meaning intentions but, but ill-informed, make the same sort of stay, mistakes or put the same sort of pressure on people that are dealing with depression. Certainly, there is, there's a great deal of, of judgment that's applied 
to mental health within um, faith circles. Um, there is some mentality and, and some belief that um, you you just need more faith. You need more. Um, you, you need to um, you know kind of just a- apply the faith that you have in in a stronger way. And that if if you are struggling with a mental health issue, that um, you're obviously not you know uh, in a, in a, a state of spiritual maturity, and um, that can apply in a in a really uh, dangerous way to pastors who will be in many circles judged to be really failing or failures if they admit that they're struggling with depression or they're struggling certainly with suicidal thoughts. It could mean that they lose their jobs. Um, so there, there are there are these um, attitudes, and some people I think don't even really are. I don't think some of us are aware even that we we carry these kind of biases or prejudices. But um, we tend to look at I think mental illness as kind of an an other thing outside of physical. But it, it is physical. It, it kind of gets a category all its own, and, and unfortunately, uh, we in that process do a great disservice. Shelley, we've been allocated 10 minutes. We need 10 hours to do this topic justice. Um, September, ironically, is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Spend a moment, yeah. if you would, for folks listening that have heard this story, and suddenly it's quickened something in their own hearts in relationship to perhaps a friend, family member, a loved one that they've got some suspicions about. Can you walk us through what are some of the risk factors, some of the warning signs, and most importantly, what can we do to help? Um, well, some of the risk fa- some of the warning signs that, that we can look for is um, people commenting on thoughts about suicide. Um, it's known as suicidal ideation, and they may, might say, you know, I just wish I wasn't here. Nothing matters. Just nothing matters. They have a loss in, of interest in things or become um, withdrawing, or if there's increased alcohol or drug use, or they're becoming aggressive or angry, they're withdrawing or they have mood swings, or if they're becoming reckless. I know that uh, definitely if they're doing things like selecting their pills or not taking their medications, or if they've purchased a weapon, um, or if you ever notice any reckless behavior with a weapon, um, divesting is particularly notable. I, I've worked with a lot of teens who were suddenly giving away their possessions, and that's a that's a sign to be concerned about. Or tying up loose ends as though one was um, trying to organize their life um, at the at, as though it was the end of their life, uh, maybe. Um, saying the last words to people or paying off debts. Um, so those kinds of things um, are, are signs that you might want to look for. Other things that are, would be concerns if there was a family history of suicide or depression, if they had a history of substance abuse or any kind of um, abuse with, um, with you know alcohol or drugs, if they have access to firearms, um, if they've been under a lot of stress lately or if they've recently had a loss or a tragedy or lost a job or those kinds of things can be triggers. So um, those are just some things to be to be aware of and to be watchful for ch- just changes in behavior. Um, so um, some of the 
some of the things that uh, we can we can do in terms of support is to create environments where we can talk openly and honestly about this and look for churches that talk openly and honestly about mental health and provide support for it and um you know get rid of stock you know guns and weapons and stockpile pills that kind of thing and ask people simple questions or direct questions like you know can i help you uh, would you like me to go to the doctor with you are you struggling um how can i help you in this um and if somebody seems to be really distressed just have one person at a time speak to them in a in a calm manner so somebody doesn't feel like they're being ganged up on um those are some some suggestions to begin with and and certainly in a situation like this with 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 Jared and his family, you know, coming alongside people who are grieving and um, creating compassionate environments for people who are battling depression and suicidal thoughts, letting them know that they're safe and we accept them and we, we are all battling things and we're all in this together and educating ourselves about mental illness and so educating our, our faith con- our faith. Um, our congregations and church and uh, other faith um, organizations and um, accepting that pastors are imperfect and spirituality does not equate to lack of struggle. Um, so, and, and actually letting pastors know where they can go to get help and that we will help them get that. I did want to be sure to mention a couple things, Craig. One is... Um, the suicide prevention hotline um, that you you have that number available and it's one eight hundred. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go go right ahead. One eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. And there are resources that I would like people to know about. Um, there's an organization that I know you're aware of called MusicForTheSoul.org. They have a project called Chaos of the Heart, and that has been written. It's a it's a musical project for those who are grieving the loss of a loved one to suicide and they can get that at musicforthesoul.org and it's 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 huge it's just enormously it's just written specifically for that need and it's very very helpful another one is called drink deep and that one is more generically for journey through grief but chaos of the heart for those who are struggling with uh, the loss of someone to suicide and this is a, a difficult issue. Uh, I mean, th- there's loss and then there's loss. This is loss at a whole different tier. And the ability to be able to work through all of this and find some sense of resolution and closure, uh, because so many questions are left unanswered, becomes a particularly uh, difficult struggle to, to overcome. Musicforthesoul.org, that is for the uh, the survivors of those who have fallen victim to suicide. And then, as Shelley points out, if you or someone you know and love um, struggling with suicidal thoughts, going through behavior changes, um, seems to be lost and may potentially, based on some of the um, key factors that we've discussed here today, may potentially be contemplating suicide, uh, please know that there's someone available to talk to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that this is not the answer. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-TALK. 
That's 800-273-8255. And our thanks to Shelley Beach, award-winning author and co-founder of ptsdperspectives.org. 520. Get you up again now on some traffic over to the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Um, There is a trial taking place right now that uh, is not getting a lot of attention, and that's a sad thing. Um, Largely, it is a trial to try and shut up those that have made an effort to try to go public with sort of the inside story, the inside workings of what really happens at Planned Parenthood. Let's find out what it's all about. We're joined by Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Brian, we uh, we talked on this program about three, four years ago when it went public uh, based on some um, undercover investigation done by um, the two reporters that managed to infiltrate um, meetings of people involved with both Planned Parenthood and the National Abortion Federation um, as to what the real agenda is, what really goes on behind the scenes. Sadly, mm-hmm. even with the revelation of the degree of criminal activity, instead of the focus being on what was uncovered as a result of these investigations, they are now attempting to prosecute the investigators. Tell us what's going on. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. And many people remember David Delighton, and they may not know as well Sandra Merritt. Sandra Merritt portrayed the owner of a company that wanted baby body parts. There are several across the nation and internationally that literally buy human baby body parts. And so what they taped was the conversation with Planned Parenthood employees negotiating prices and methods of procurement. Uh, I want to remind you, because the goal of Planned Parenthood and at this point, the Democrat Party, Javier Becerra, is that none of this ever be discussed. So I want to remind you that those tapes are still online, and only a fraction of them, some of the most outlandish, did get attention, where they bragged about how they would kill the child to make sure that the vital, precious vital organs weren't crushed so that they could sell them. And so the, the tapes themselves are damning. This is no. They're selling these. These are valuable, at least in a monetary sense. This is not just a piece of tissue. This is very. These lives are valuable. But what happened yesterday? Now in this trial, the trial is a criminal trial. Now there's been no other time where reporters who have, you know, as you know, this has been a reporter's challenge to go to someone and to interview them and then make it an expose. That's a that's a form of reporting. People may not like when it happens, but that's happened quite a bit in the history of reportage. This is the first time ever they've been sued for committing a crime, and that's happening right now by Javier Barcera. It was initiated by Kamala Harris when she was the state's attorney general, but now it's gone to a jury trial to put them in jail. Yesterday, yesterday, Planned Parenthood made a motion to the judge that they would like to have a gag order that nothing discussed in the courtroom should be made public. Well, thankfully, yesterday, the judge said, I'm sorry, we're not going to gag people. 
This is public information and knowledge, as most courts usually are. So that was one good sign. And so I want to remind people you can still go and see the videos. That's still available for Center for Medical Progress. You can see where they admit, and in the courtroom, Planned Parenthood has made admissions, that they did all that, that it's true. That they bought these party parks. They made those statements. Those are true statements. Well, what I don't understand that, here, Brian, pardon me for interrupting, but what I don't understand is, as as out front in your face as the pro-abortion movement has been since 1973, why all of a sudden all the hush-hush secrecy? I understand that uh, this annual convention of the so-called National Abortion Federation, um, attendees have to uh, sign confidentiality statements. They're asked to uh, wear badges, but only inside of the conference, not outside of the conference space, to not even leave their badges or conference materials visibly open in their hotel rooms if they go out for uh, dinner, for example, and, and that they post security guards around the meeting rooms and exhibit hall so that no outsiders can get in. What's going on here that's so secretive? What are they trying to hide? Mm-hmm. Well, we're seeing that, and that's with this trial. Again, they want to be punitive towards those people who are saying, hey, look at what they're saying. Spend a moment and look at these people are killing human babies and then selling the individual organs at high price, by the way, for medical experimentation. That does not strike as simply a matter of choice. This is not something that that Joe Sixpack and Sally Sopopper, who kind of blithely accepted the current situation, they don't realize the implications. And when those are shown and demonstrated and in court, Planned Parenthood has admitted it's all true. Now, the Planned Parenthood wants to hush up what's happening in the courtroom itself as these things are being admitted. So, uh, thankfully, Javier Bracera was, was rebuked. It was Javier Bracera that asked for it all to be gagged, to be a gag order on this trial. Yesterday, the judge said, no, this is an open trial. So they don't like being examined. They don't like facts being known. And by, by the way, we said it many times, my position on the right to life isn't because of my, I believe a certain way and other people believe something else. No, this is all about objective facts. We're talking about self-evident truths. These are the laws before Roe v. Wade are the laws of nature and of nature's God. This isn't my personal God that made it. This isn't my personal theology. This is, this is how things are. That's a human being, a human baby, with all the organs you and I have completely dependent on our kindness and mercy. And if that's removed from those children, it's a horror. And they don't want that discussed. It's, uh, you know, it's shocking. It, it really is. And I think the most uh, disparaging thing about this entire trial is it's not that the, the the perpetrators of the crime are on trial. It's the people that expose the crime that are on trial. Talk about an almost Orwellian feel to all of this. It it really is it's quite remarkable. We'll continue to follow this trial, this case, and um, be in prayer, if you would, um, because Sandra Merritt and David Delighton are facing 15 counts of felony invasion of privacy. Of course, not a word about what happened at the hands of the Planned Parenthood folks.
Unbelievable. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Information available on the web at nrlc.org. 534. Let's get you updated now on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It seems as if hardly a day goes by that we don't read a story somewhere in the news about somebody who has been arrested in a sting operation or a um, teacher that is under investigation or, in fact, has been uh, put on trial for taking advantage of a child. And um, I think every time a parent hears this, they shudder to the core, and then they think, uh, whisper quietly to themselves, thank goodness not my son or daughter, and then go about their business. Um, and and you kind of, you're, you're horrified about those stories, and yet you keep it all at, at arm's length, and uh, you're grateful that it's not you, not your child, until it is. And then what? Um, this is a difficult topic, and if you have children with an earshot, maybe busy them somewhere else. As we talk about what to do, not just in hoping that it never happens, but to actually take proactive steps toward protecting your child from predators. Today, a look at how to recognize and respond to sexual danger. Joining me is the co-author of this new book, Dr. Latane Scott. Dr. Scott has written more than two dozen best-selling books and is the co-author of this latest one. And uh, this is a tough case, uh, Dr. Scott, because so often parents, uh, they hear about it, they shudder at the notion of it ever happening to their son or daughter, hope for the best, but oftentimes uh, do little else and really don't understand what should be done from a proactive standpoint to better protect our sons or daughters. Well, there are two sides to the coin, uh, Craig, two sides. And one is that one in four females and one in six males statistically are sexually abused before the age of 18. That's the bad side of the coin. The good side of the coin is Dr. Robinson has great hope for you. From her case files with dealing with thousands of sexually abused and, and otherwise abused children, she can tell you what you can do to help your child develop what we call a warrior heart, where the child is aware of circumstances and scenarios in which they might be put in danger and know what to do in those. It's not to make anyone fearful, and although this is a this is a dreadful subject, you are absolutely right about that. I mean, today, the headlines were about Jeffrey Epstein taking 11 and 12-year-old child to the, children to the Virgin Island. Uh, so there, there, this is a dreadful subject, but it doesn't have to be for your child. You can learn how to talk to your child, how to protect your child, you can't be with them 24-7, but you can help them know what danger signals might be. And then there are many, many things that you as a parent, even before the child is aware of danger, that you can do just to preclude danger, just to uh, help, your, help your child not get in situations in which he or she would be in danger. Let's talk about some of the proactive steps that parents can and should be taking. And, and I guess the first and most difficult question is, 
how soon do we start? I mean, we, we think, I think, oftentimes in our naivete that this is an issue that only happens to children once they sort of hit puberty or they, they come of age. We, we, we shudder at the notion of it happening to an infant, and yet, sadly, you read cases of sometimes children as young as one and two years old that become victims, particularly when they're in arenas where uh, the enemy, not a faceless stranger who broke into the house, or we always told our kids don't talk to strangers, but rather somebody that you know and trust, a coach, a neighbor, a babysitter. How do you warn a two-year-old what to watch out for? One of the great values for this book is that it is uh, divided up in age groups. And so a parent can is given cues or clue, clues to conversations with their children to start them thinking about such things as your body was made by God. And you kind of have shared ownership with God of your body, and therefore, because it's something special and something wonderful, other people can't touch it. And Dr. Robinson is so um, helpful and specific. She says with a small child, teach them that nobody can touch them in the area covered by a bathing suit without mom or dad's permission or mom and dad being with them. For instance, a doctor examining. You start as early as you can by talking about the fact that uh, a child's body was created by God. And you start by uh, making sure that your child knows terminology for their body parts. I was teaching about this one time in a class, and I had a, an emergency room nurse raised her hand. She said, I cannot tell you how many people have come into my emergency room, teenagers, and cannot describe what part of their bodies have been assaulted other than using slang terms, which vary across cultures, vary across the age groups. And she said, sometimes it's incomprehensible. So just like we have inside voices and outside voices, we teach our children that. We teach our children the correct names for uh, their anatomy. But that's just used in, in the family. You know, a child can come in and say, this particular body part hurts, and mom knows that it's not, you know, no where in their bottom it is. Whereas when they're out in public, the child might say, I hurt my bottom. But a mom or a doctor would know ex- exactly what part is hurt. And this, again, this is not taking away their innocence. Because, you know, the terms are morally neutral to a child. They don't know the difference between a, a specific term for a body part and a euphemism. They just know what you teach them. And, and your attitude, your facial expression, all that shows them that, the, you know, you need business. This is something about their body that God created, and we're just going to talk about it that way. So the book is extremely practical in giving parents conversation starters, which children is, is as soon as they start talking. And, you know, the irony is a lot of parents struggle with the topic even when they have a child that gets to the age of maturity. And, you know, how many how many listening right now say, oh, yeah, my husband tried to make me have the conversation or my wife said, you're, <laughs> you're the head of the household. You have the talk. And it's difficult enough to have it with a uh, – with a, um, uh, pubescent teen, let alone thinking about a child much younger. But you're right. I think we need to change our thinking that this is not uh, robbing them of their innocence or their childhood, but we're trying to take steps to inform them and to appropriately protect them because the practical side is that you can't be around them 24-7. That's exactly right. And we feed over so much control of our children's lives. Some of us have to. Single mothers have to. They have to work. 
they have to have someone to watch their children. Um, there are circumstances, you know, someone falls ill. And so you have to know who to trust, who you're likely to be able to trust. But who is it? Who is the president who said trust but verified? That was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dr. Robinson gives you specific things you can do, for instance, with a babysitter, things you wouldn't even think about that will help you kind of ferret out whether or not this babysitter is going to be the right babysitter for your child. This is someone who's going to be safe. For instance, and I never would have thought of this, and she's just brilliant in, in coming up with it. She said, get on their social media pages. If, if all of their music they like is ungodly music, if they're dressing provocatively and talking about drug use, talking about cigarettes when they should be smoking cigarettes, any of those things. Now, you and I don't have any control over who comes on our Facebook page, for instance, and posts something. So you can't hold someone responsible for, what, for everything that's on their page. But you can hold them responsible for what they allow to remain on their page or what they advocate. And so I think that's one great, great way of doing it. Another is to have a written contract, for instance, with a babysitter. We have them when we take our children to daycare, you know, your responsibilities, my responsibilities, but do it with a teenager. Tell them, uh, for instance, if, if you're going to keep uh, my child, you can't have any of your friends over at my house ever while you're watching my child. Here's the amount of screen time you can use. Um, I, I may or may not have a camera, and if you don't want a camera on you while you're watching my child, then maybe you need to find another gig. <laughs> So she's got so many practical things that once you start thinking about it, you think, you know, I am not out of my rights as a parent to expect that someone who comes into my house to take care of my precious child live by my rules in my house. Well, and as you point okay. out, the, the, the one thing we often blame technology for the spread of pornography and, and things of that sort, and it certainly, um, you know, takes more than its fair share of blame, and rightfully so, and yet use in an appropriate fashion. This technology can also be a wonderful tool to help a parent get a better understanding of what's going on with the potential babysitter that they're about to hire or what's going on inside of their home and to have a camera placed strategically in some locations that the parents, while they're out, uh, you know, with other adults or out for the evening can check in once in a while and see what's going on, I think is just smart. I do too. And another thing that she advocates, um, and, and this is something I think, think we know, but we don't actually put it into practice, is if your child is really nervous or upset or agitated around any one person or a couple, don't let your child be alone with that person. doesn't matter who it is. If you've got a normally, you know, garrulous, happy child, and they're kind of nervous and get all bashful around one person, that person does not need to be alone with your child ever. So what if you make a mistake and hurt somebody's feelings? It's worth the risk because, as Dr. Robinson points out over and over again for, from her case files, and this is a woman who's, you know, examined so many children and who has been uh, held parents, you know, sobbing parents in her arms. These are things that you can do ahead of time to prevent this. In fact, each, uh, each chapter of this book with a different scenario starts with a, a case, something from her case file. Of course, the people's names are not in there. Identifying characteristics are not in there. And if you took every one of these parents that Dr. Robinson dealt with 
and line them up right now in front of your listening audience, the thing they would say was, learn from what we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Now you can learn. You don't have to make, you don't have to have this happen to your child. If I had known this, this wouldn't have happened. Let's talk about and some you- common mistakes, and I want to do that right after a quick timeout because I think it's important as we as we, we really try to learn from the errors of others that we can capture uh, these lessons and be able to put it to use for the own good of our family and ultimately the best interest of protecting our child. The book is called simply Protecting Your Child from Predators, How to Recognize and Respond to Sexual Danger. We'll come back to more of our conversation with Dr. Latane Scott as Lifeline continues. All right, that update for you on traffic is promised from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Our visit today with Dr. Latane Scott, co-author of Protecting Your Child from Predators, How to Recognize and Respond to Sexual Danger. Uh, The new book, by the way, newly released by Bethany House Publishers. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. Dr. Scott, let's talk about some of the common mistakes that parents made based on your research and that, of course, of your co-author, uh, Dr. Robinson. What, what have you found? What are some of the common mistakes that all parents can learn from? Greg, you correctly identified that most sexual predators are well-known to, to the child and to the parents. Another characteristic they have is that they are charming and helpful. Does that mean that everybody that's well-known to you that's charming and helpful is a predator? No. But... Anyone who is charming and helpful and wants time alone with your child, whether to give them extra music lessons because they're the next Beethoven, or a coach that wants to pick up only your child and take them on road trips, anything like that, that should be like this giant red flag in your your mind. It does not matter who wants time alone with your child. No one has that right or that ability unless, for instance, like it's a music lesson and you can stay by nearby or you know what's going on. It's been a, you know, the child's not left there afterwards for extended periods of time. There are another scenario that Dr. Robinson talks about is uh, playgrounds. I don't know how it is in California, but here in New Mexico, if you go to a playground or a public place where kids are playing, you know, a playground at a fast food restaurant or on a uh, school grounds or a park, the parents that aren't talking to each other, what are they doing? Looking at their phones. Yep. <laughs> you, have to have, you have to have your eyes on your child at all times. You know, there should be no hidden places in any park where you are. I myself was accosted walking my dog in a public park. So I, I'm very much aware of this. Another area that Dr. Robinson and I both are very uh, insistent on is that you really need to think very carefully about whether or not you let your child do sleepovers. And you might say, well, why, you know, Craig, you might say, why (laughs) Why can't my child go over to this trusted friend's house? We have a scenario in the book about a family, two families that were great friends, and um, one daughter went over to a sleepover with all the girls in their little circle, and they had a great time. But what the parents of this one little girl didn't know was that the brother of one of the parents that was hosting the thing stopped 
through on his way to a cross-country, on a cross-country trip, and actually assaulted the, the daughter, friend's daughter, in the bathroom. Um, and another thing, <laughs> another thing, and again, not to be fearful, just be aware. I, did, I had no idea until Dr. Robinson shared this. 40% of kids who are sexually abused are abused by older or more powerful kids. Kids. So um, this means that when you're in that public park, you're not just looking for the guy in the trench coat that's looking around behind the park. You're watching whether or not somebody's got your kid down on the ground and what they're doing. Uh, you, you're in a grocery store. You don't let your kids run off, you know. You keep them with you. And this might sound uh, perhaps overly protective. As the child grows older, they learn areas of responsibility. They learn what's safe and not safe, but especially with little kids. I would never let a little kid out of my sight in any kind of store. When I take my grandchildren to a store and they're age 10 and 7, they don't go around the corner of an aisle without me being with them because a sexual assault can happen in seconds. We're not thinking about a long, drawn-out process in some cases. But there's great hope. Dr. Robinson gives great hope to parents. Even if this happens, and it's going to happen to some kids, Jesus said evil things are going to happen. Woe to those by whom it happens, but it's going to happen. But there's great hope in this book and great experience from Dr. Robinson that the shorter the duration, the younger the child that undergoes uh, some sort of sexual assault, the more uh, likely, in fact, uh, not just possible, but likely that that child is going to go on to lead a happy, fulfilled life with few effects from that. So this is this is a book of great hope and we want to create in parents and in children a warrior heart that protects this precious body that each child was given that was created so lovingly and so artfully by uh, this master designer uh, our lord to uh, carry our souls around on this earth and we protect those souls we protect those little minds we protect those little hearts and it's a, it's a privilege and a joy the book, again, is called Protecting Your Child from Predators, How to Recognize and Respond to Sexual Danger, new released by Bethany House Publishers, and it, it's almost required reading. And, you know, this is, this is the reality in which we have to live. And so the steps that we can take today to protect our son or daughter can, um, can go a long way towards avoiding a lot of pain tomorrow. Protecting Your Child from Predators, co-author Dr. Latane Scott, with us on this edition of Lifeline. Six o'clock. Let's get a look at traffic right now. Once again, at the KFAX Traffic Center, the latest. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.